I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We have a very wisdom-packed episode for you today. I'm really excited to share with you Sherry Salata and her brand new book, The Beautiful No. Sherry's current venture is the evolution from her 21-year career with Oprah Winfrey. Her action-packed days as executive producer on The Oprah Winfrey Show were chronicled in the acclaimed docuseries Season 25, Oprah Behind the Scenes. Sherry also served as co-president of Harpo Studios and own the Oprah Winfrey Network. Sherry has been named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, the Hollywood Reporter's Women in Entertainment Power 100, and the 2017 Feminist Press Power Award winners. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. And her memoir is packed with wisdom about actual happiness because as she shared in her book and on our podcast she had been so busy building this impressive career which she obviously loved on many levels but she said she forgot to build a life yep and so that's what she's up to yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty cool yeah as we're sitting here recording an intro to a podcast at 7 30 at night in a hotel room in austin texas with our two children sleeping (laughs) Yes, we are doing that. Building, that's our life. That is our life. And since, you know, you and I, our thing has been make a life, not just a living. So I think in particular, this conversation and her book, The Beautiful No, for me was layered in wisdom and and pieces of information. I particularly love what Sherry said, how she answered my question about accountability and really turned that question on its head. And also how she answered my question about her favorite spiritual and personal growth teachers. She also turned that one on its head. I just kind of love that she didn't answer the questions that I asked her in some certain cases. She just like really answered the question like, you know, yeah, obviously is who she is. Well, it's because she, you'll She's hear so why. Well, it, yeah. And you'll see, you'll hear yes. why instead of us. Cause we, I mean, I fall into this category for sure about you're trying to find the perfect solution through the perfect teacher to get you to the perfect result that you need. And she shared some enlightening stuff around that piece. She also shared something about how she coaches herself that I've never heard anybody talk about it in this way and shared this particular practice. I really loved it. We talked about our shared love of napkins, of cloth napkins. But that was not by far the most interesting part of the episode. I just think she's really great. And I think you're going to really love this episode, especially if you are somebody who is really wanting to make the most of however much any of us have left on Earth, because none of us have any guarantees. And Sherry's really like about finding true happiness and joy. Yeah. And I love her story and I love her practices and I love her book. So, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in this episode and her book has a lot of wisdom. It was a great read. I really enjoyed it. I mean, coming from, as Kate already said, but it's like working for one of the biggest people like that have done 
phenomenal things like working in the, in the own, you know, Harpo Studios, Oprah Winfrey Network, like even the Oprah show, like all of that stuff is a super impressive career. And she was like, you know what? What happened? Like, where did I go? I lost myself along the way. And it was, it's such a great journey that she went on. Plus she's from the Midwest. So got to give a shout out to the Midwesters. Shout out to the Midwest. So please, if you like this episode, make sure that, and if you are enjoying the show, make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you leave a review, screenshot it, share it on your stories. We would love to see you and hear from you and enjoy Sherry Salata. Welcome, Sherry. We're so happy you're here. Hi. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you so much for for saying yes. I heard of you a couple years ago when we were at the Wanderlust event, the whatever it was called. Ah, I think it was awesome uh, women entrepreneurs. Yes, that was yes. And and um I've been following your work ever since and and I loved your book The Beautiful No. It's just like I just felt like there's so much richness in your stories and so many universal life lessons but told through this, you know, through specificity, which is of course the beauty of storytelling, which is obviously something you're pretty darn good at. <laughs> so, speaking of stories, I would love to know, can you tell me the story of deciding to write a book? Yes. Well, it's not a clear path. I mean, I think from my earliest days, I remember it was fourth or fifth grade. I, I had a, on, my, on my bucket list in those early years was to write the history of Poland. That yeah, was, I read that in your book. Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I just wanted to go big. You know, I'm just going to write the history of, of Poland and that never materialized. But I was a reader. I was a reader from the moment I could remember. And I had such a reverence for books, you know, uh, and, and that continued to take shape in my life. I mean, interestingly, for a brief moment in time, I was Oprah's book club producer. And so then I was really kind of in, in the thick of that sacredness. I mean, I, I, there's nothing that I, 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 there's very little I admire more than great writing. And so it was kind of like the perfect storm of encouragement from other people, a really lovely publisher, Karen Rinaldi at Harper Wave, who was very interested. And then the journey began. And what I started out with isn't where I ended up. I wanted to quit about four times. I'm like, I do not need this. This, you know, I felt like this sickening pressure. I'd read things and I'd be like, oh, this isn't good enough. It isn't deep enough. And I remember it was Christmas morning a year ago, a year ago this past Christmas, I was going to quit. I'll just give them their money back. I'm not doing this. I've accomplished so many things. I, I don't need to do this. And I woke up the next day and I thought, Sherry Salata, what an honor and privilege that anybody thinks that you have messages that could be valuable to other people. And do you know how many people would love for a publisher like HarperCollins to be interested in distributing, you know, a book to the world? And I just said, you are not quitting on this. You're going to figure it out and you're going to 
sit down and start tippity tapping the keys. And kind of once I made that decision, I think it was probably breaking through some fear. Then it was great. And it's been great ever since. I love that. What, so you mentioned about the, you know, rereading your book and the pressure that you felt as you were writing this, like what kind of pressures were coming across? Well, honestly, here's the truth, Mike. I never, ever exposed myself. Well, that, that sounds really crazy, but <laughs> she is, she's currently, Only sometimes. Yeah, she showed up naked. So she's yes. now she's yes. fully exposed all the time. You know, I would say that for years and years and years, and particularly because of all the asks that would come in as related to Oprah and the Oprah show, I kind of had a bit of a, an armor around me. And also, I mean, I guess I would have described myself as a very private person, And it was probably just more that I wasn't comfortable being vulnerable. Well, then enter the Sherry and Nancy show podcast. And as you guys know, you just forget, you know, I'm sitting there having a conversation with one of my BFFs of 30 years. And next thing I know, I'm just spilling the beans. And then I see that people are like sweet about it. And they're like, me too. And oh my gosh, it made me feel better when you said that. And so it's kind of been over the last few years, this, you know, it's like slowly, it's kind of warming up in the cold pool, like really getting used to being okay with feeling that degree of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So that it's all kind of entangled in there. Hmm. And then how... So you have your own vulnerability, your own experience, but then you worked in a job, right? That was the woman that probably most people want to get to, right? And you're like shutting that down, right? Like, so, and you see the stuff that the news and the, the gossip that's created or whatever. So there's this, how is, was there an effect that as your career was this place of, it was kind of like keeping like a security blanket almost on what you guys were doing. Well, yeah. And you know, I think you're bringing up the perfect point and it's really something I've only lately been considering that, you know, my comfort at being a behind the scenes person was in part due to the fact I could see how much it could suck sometimes to be known or to be famous. You know, like, like every bit of untrue stuff getting printed and, you know, I mean, like people that I knew would ask me about crazy business on the cover of the Inquirer in in the grocery store. I'd be like, no, no. Oh my God. How could you believe that? And so, you know, there, there, I, I suppose there is some trepidation about, you know, you, you write a book now, you know, we're speaking and, you know, you're, you're coming out a little bit from behind the scenes. So there's a little bit of that getting used to that. It's but real. It's mm-hmm. real. It is real. And it's weird. I yeah. mean, it's weird being a public person. <laughs> like, I just think it's weird that other, there are some people, it's just, I think the whole dynamic is bizarre, <laughs> but it's exciting because your story mm-hmm. will change people's lives and inspire them to be more of who they are. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, Hey, listen, that's the dream, right? That's worth it, right? That's what it's for. So I'm curious because I love writing. I love words. I love books. And I'm curious, can you share your experience? You shared about quitting, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd love to know, like, 
What kind of structure did you set up for yourself around writing? How long did it take you? Did you have any practices? Did you do any like courses? I just love to know about the process. Well, here, okay, so here's the process for sure. So when I decided not to quit, I kind of opened myself up to the universe. Like, I'm really stuck. I feel like everything feels kind of tainted. Like, eh, I, you know, I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like how, I, I don't really think that I'm heading in the right direction. And, you know, the, what kept me going as well was my publisher was just a gem. She'd be like, oh, you'll get, you'll figure it out when you're ready. I'm like, will I? Will I, Karen? Um, and I was speaking at a conference in Hawaii, and I had just done my thing on stage, and afterwards, people were standing around me, and they were saying, you know, you should really write a book. And I go, yeah, no kidding. I should be doing that right now. <laughs> I absolutely should be writing a book. And this woman overheard me, and she called me over and invited me to have a coffee with her, and she said, maybe I can help you. My name is Ellen Daly, and, and maybe I can coach you. And so I'm like, yeah, well, good luck with that, Ellen Daly. But she put a little proposal together, <laughs> and she signed up to be my coach, which meant that – and she's ghostwritten for tons of people. She's you know, written tons of books, and she's coached people because I said, you can't write it for me. Because it's my very singular voice. I must write it. But I feel like I'm just like in a sea of papers and, you know, with with no direction. So we sat down. She coached me through the outline process. And then every month I would submit pages. She'd send me back notes. And all of a sudden I had a process. I needed that. I mean, I, you know, I've been writing for 20 years professionally, you know, script writing, writing in Oprah's voice, but this was very different. And because it's almost like it's the same thing as how you can figure out someone else's life, but you can't figure out your own kind of the same principle. And that was made the difference for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good to have help. Yeah. It's really good. It was really good. So you're a storyteller. That was your, you know, obviously like the pinnacle of a chapter of your career, because I certainly don't want to say, right, like I just think that life is long. And so we don't want to say that was like the pinnacle of the career, but it's a pinnacle of a chapter. And, you know, as executive producer and on the Oprah show. So can you talk to us about, I'm fascinated by stories. You know, we tell stories each week on our podcast. I tell stories in my Instagram captions, you know, like all the little stories and the big stories. How do you think about the arc of a story. And if you were, let's say, sitting down to produce a segment or to produce a show or even, you know, even the ads that you were producing before, right. can you just talk about how you think about the arc of the story and what elements and some, you know, some just information about good storytelling and then maybe what makes bad storytelling too? Right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, as a producer, I've been telling stories for years and the truth is what makes a good story like for me is when it's filled with delicious details and it feels really personal and there's, you know, failure and triumph and some more failure and obstacles to overcome. It really is that heroine's journey and which is uh, those are the elements of always the best stories and I think for the storytelling for the audience don't we all just want to be inspired 
Don't we all want to be moved and just like lifted up for a minute? Like, wow, maybe I could see my life differently. And wow, you know, maybe I could do that one thing differently. And wow, maybe there's more for me. Those are the kinds of stories that would literally sink into my bones and make me believe that there was more, there was more for me in this life. So that, you know, those were the stories we looked for when we were telling stories on the Oprah show for sure. And those are, you know, that continues to be what I gravitate as I'm creating the story of my own life, Mm. which is how are we going to transcend? Where's the next triumph? Who do you want to be? Not what do you want to do? Who do you want to be, Sherry? And what's interesting is that it really was only in my mid-50s that I had this overwhelming epiphany that you might be here another 40, 50 years, girl. What are you going to do at that time? Are you just going to be the, oh, she had the great job for 20 years? Oh, yeah. What's going to be, is that it? I mean, listen, it's not nothing, you know, and it certainly gave me tons of validation and, you know, gave me marvelous experiences and expanded my life in ways that are almost unspeakable, but that can't be it. Being someone else's something can't be the, the whole kit and caboodle. Like, what am I doing with this next half? And is it always going to be talking about my glory days? Or am I going to begin dialing up my dream pots? I like to think of my dreams in these big soup pots, dialing it up (laughs) and and creating my next set of glory days and the glory days after that and the glory days after that. And I think that's the thing for those of us who raise children really well, And it's like, your work is done. Those of us who have big, 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 big jobs and get a lot of attention and validation for that. It's like, what is next is the more interesting question than what I used to do. It really is. What, so what was that transition like though for you? Kind of going from this big job to... It's like going out on your own and leaving the Midwest. I mean, come on. I grew come up in on. Indiana. So I, I'm, from, yeah, I'm from Valparaiso, Indiana. You're my people. That's, I'm your people. Kate's You're like a, people. this an East Coast person, you know? Like, oh, uh, those types. Yeah, those well, East Coast. Well, we're a little different in Maine. Uh-huh. Yes, it's true. That's right. <laughs> well, listen, it was, it was wild in a lot of ways. In one way, it was like, oh, my God, I feel like I have my life back in a way. Like, wow, you know, I mean, what are people doing during the day? Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm, I'm at the bank, you know, have, chatting up the tellers like we're going to be friends. You know, I hadn't seen the sunlight in, in years. So in that way, it was, it was wondrous. Then, you know, the, the harder part was realizing that, you know, having this huge epiphany that I had manifested the career of my dreams, but not the life of my dreams. And that set off a huge reckoning and the beginning of that story of who you're going to be. And is it always going to be that, 
you know, what kind of got me ready, I must say, Mike, was my, my Midwestern sensibility is very staff life oriented. Hire me. I'll let blood from my veins. You can count on me. But I was meeting on the West Coast these these young whippersnappers who are all entrepreneurs. That thing I was speaking at, Kate. Yes. That, that Wanderlust event. And I'm like, how old are you? And like 24. <laughs> and I'm like, and you run a 10 figure business? How does that happen? And they're like, I know. I mean, it's really hard. I work a lot of hours. And I'm like, work a lot of hours. Oh my God. Let me, let me show you my schedule, you know, for the last 20 years. But what I was inspired by was it's like, they're like, fuck it. I'm doing it. I'm not working for somebody else. I'm working for myself and I want to live and die by my own dreams. And I, and I just thought, wow, that is really brave. I didn't have a morsel of that in me coming out of Waukegan, Illinois, my friends. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I was like, I, I was raised to be like, you find a company and then you'll retire yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And Cause in the Midwest during, you know, it was solid for a long time. Yeah. 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 It was like solid. You had good jobs. You had good careers. You, it was like, boom, you're set. Well, your dad worked for the same for 33 years, for 33 yeah. years. And now Tell me about, so, so you were inspired by these people on the coast, you know, and it was like, okay, yeah, I'm 24 <laughs> running a 10 figure company. I mean, that's, I love whippersnappers. whippersnappers that's awesome. that's we're going to incorporate whippersnappers more oh often. God. Like, so what was your first, so I know that you, you know, I know that you left and then you were working on your wellness journey, which I love, love, love yeah. learning about that. And one of my favorite Chris Carr lines as well is becoming the CEO of save my ass technology. So when you quoted her, I love that. <laughs> Cause I had quoted her to Mike, actually this fall, Mike was really sick and it was that same thing of like thinking that, you know, some expert, some doctor, some, if I could find the right person, like they'll know. So I was going to ask you another question, but, but while we're on this topic, can you talk to me about that transition of realizing who was actually in charge of your body? Right. Well, you know, listen, I was trying to give away that responsibility every which way I could. And, you know, and, and raised, you know, my mom was very much like a woman who the doctor says, the doctor says, even though he was fat and smoking and doing whatever. There was, and also, I mean, I had a front row seat at all the ex, the best experts on the planet, your mom. Um, I mean, you know, like, and, and everybody would come in with their advice and information. So what I finally had to face up to was this, and I could see my own little schemes, all, you know, my self-sabotaging schemes in this, that number one, nobody else could be the expert of Sherry Salata that I was going to sooner or later, I was going to have to understand that that was going to have to be me. And I can accept that fact, or I can continue on looking for the next program or bit. I have so much information. It's exploding out of my skull. You know, I've had a front row seat to everything. So when I finally had that moment where I realized that the joy ride for each of us is a very personal recipe you know, what your joyride looks like is different than mine. What those practices every day is different for you than it is for me. 
And until I was willing to step in the role of being my own expert, my own guru, my own guide, my own supervisor, the CEO of me, as Chris would say, I would always be playing at this life management game. There'd always be things that weren't tended to because I could just go unconscious about it. But when you decide that you're in charge and that it's not, you know, uh, somebody with a medical degree and you realize you have to recruit your team, all of a sudden it's a very different game. So like on a day where I don't drink enough water, I, I skip my workout and I don't do my meditation, you know, I have to have a chat with myself about that. You know, and not just wait until my next physical to be told, wow, how you're living isn't helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have in your, in your life, do you have people who help hold you accountable? Because I think, you know, I'll just speak for myself. I find it hard to sh- keep up with the stuff you're supposed to be doing. You know, (laughs) with the meditation and the water and the working out and the good food. And, you know, I do a lot of it, but it's like, it is hard to, and then I let it slip and whatever. So I'm just curious, do you have- Then you got to look in the mirror and say 35 affirmations and then you got to post notes all over (laughs) your house. Oh my God, such a loser. I didn't say my affirmations today. Yeah. So do you have any like structures of support or accountability in your life? Do you work with coaches or, you know, a trainer or anybody? Well, I do have, I do have a trainer. I just moved to this small town and I found a wonderful trainer because that helps me keep me from hurting myself. Um, So the word accountability is, is tough for me because Mm -hmm. it instantly makes me want to rebel against, you know, doing what somebody else thinks I should do. So, there are a couple little tricks that I'm working on and it is a work in progress is first of all, realizing that the path is not perfect, that I'm much more guided and coached to an elevated way of living when I use my tender voice with myself and not my mean, judgmental, horrible voice that makes me want to crawl in a hole when I consciously pay attention to what kind of tone I'm using You know, and at the end of the day, you know, another one of my big learnings when I took a minute to like reevaluate was I want happiness to be my compass. And maybe I don't need to get so bogged down with every little detail of what that's about. But maybe throughout my day, if I'm leaning into what feels good and what feels like happiness, as I'm choosing happiness, then I'm more likely to continue to do the things that make me feel good. And again, that tender voice is really key. I mean, that's the thing that Nancy and I talk about on our show every week, and it helps me to have a a friend where we have an intentional friendship where we don't let ourselves complain more than like 30 seconds and stir that pot up. And we talk about what we want, how we want to be, what our dreams are, what our goals are. Those kinds of relationships help me continue to stay inspired. But in the end, you know, I'm the one who has to coach and coax myself into the things that feel good and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wise. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and then not, and not get mad at myself when I'm unsuccessful. Like, Oh my gosh, look at this day you're going to have. You're just going to be in a bad mood and throw everything out the window. Okay. Let's see what that feels like. You know, just a little bit like, okay, if you want to be unconscious for 24 hours, go right ahead. Because when I, when I wake up the next day and I begin to lean in the direction of what I know feels good and what works for me, then I say, Oh, you know what? I wasted that day yesterday and who knows how many I get. I'm not going to do that again. And then I just keep trying. It's that old game of three steps forward, two steps back, but a net gain of one. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. (laughs) It's your net gains. We we just were preparing. We're giving a talk this weekend in Austin, Texas. And we just kind of laid out we're doing it from the nine key lessons we've learned over the nine years of being together. And we laid out what was an expansion year and what was a contraction year. And so far the pattern has been two expansion years and one contraction year and two expansion years and one contraction year. So it's like the two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I mean, and then celebrating that one step. The problem is we're almost hardwired to just grouse about the two steps back. Yeah. And that, that really, that does not create the momentum for where you want to go. And so, you know, listen, I look at where I am today compared to where I was even three years ago, and my experience of living is night and day different. Mm -hmm. And it's because of all those little net one step forwards. Yeah. And that's it, right? Because, you know, what else is there other than your experience of living? Like, that is it. And I loved when you wrote about spending time with your mother and, you know, the let's, let's be here right now in that time. And I don't want to give away about that chapter too much because Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. And I want our listeners to go buy your book and read the, well, the whole thing, but especially that chapter. But can you talk about, I'm just curious because I've met a lot of women who, whose moms have transitioned and they say that their relationship with their mothers has changed even after they passed away. Right. And I was just curious, this is a bit of a random question, but I'm just curious, like, what is your relationship with your mother like now? And I know you're a spiritual person and I'm just, I'm just curious. Well, my mom shows up for me as an orange dragonfly. And it usually is when I'm in a good mood, I'm doing things and I'll just, I'll start to think about her. And there, there's many stories about that, but she dive bombs me as an orange dragonfly (laughs) and, and what I feel from her. I mean, that's the sign she gives me. I'm around, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But the difference in our relationship, oh my gosh, we had quite a, an arc, she and I, you know, the minute I could speak, Like as long as I could be dressed and she could do my hair and I could be adorable, you know, she could totally wholeheartedly accept me. The minute I could speak and, and rebelled against like the who, the me she wanted me to be, we had a really rough time for a long time. And then there at that, like her third act, you know, we came back together as, as each other's beloveds. And I was able to see that, you know, she was being the fullest she she could be, you know, like constantly spending my life wishing and demanding that that was different was such a waste of my precious time. Instead of just being like, 
you know, as gentle with her as that I wanted her to be with me, which is I accept you as you are and I accept your limitations and I see that you're doing the best you can. Now, it's interesting since she's made her transition, I feel the full the fullness of her and of her joy, of her wisdom, of it's almost like all that resistance that was holding her back in her physical lifetime is gone. And now she's just a vibrant powerhouse of joy and love and acceptance and humor and fun. And I, I, I can feel that for sure. Hmm. Love hearing hmm. that. That's so cool. The thing I miss, the thing I most miss is that nobody in this physical world is ever going to be as interested in the tiniest details of my life. So there, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a hole there. It's like, I get my dad on the phone and I'm like, so dad. And he's like, wants to tell me about his doctor's appointments. (laughs) I'm like, that's great, dad. I mean, we've got a few more minutes. Are you interested in anything that's happening? Like I've got some new, like my mom would want to know, show me your new napkins. Send me, I love that. You know, my, it's, it's like I, I have no place to go with that. You can call Kate. You can tell me about all your new napkins. I really am into linen. She's obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't need any more napkins. And one day, I think you open the, the drawer, you're like, yeah, I think we're good on napkins. For a I know, but I just like to keep buying them. I don't know, I know. what that is. I about. like them, too. I like them very much. The trick is you've got to recycle the old ones out. Yeah, okay. There you yeah. go. Yeah. You've got to do some giving away. Decluttering tips. It is true, though. Like when you have a drawer that's, you know, I have that with my shoe area in my closet. It's like I just have the amount of space for the amount of shoes I have. So when I get a pair of new shoes, one has to go. For sure. I think that's a good life. With napkins, we keep them. No, I'm going to go up there and recycle in honor of Sherry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love that. Yeah, so good. (laughs) Okay, so the title, The Beautiful No. Can you, and I just, I loved how you talked about this moment when there was a big no with this job opportunity that of course led to a really big moment of the other job opportunity with Oprah Mm -hmm. and how you went through and talked about chronicling all of your whole life and all of the no's and how they all do turn out to be these beautiful no's that lead to something else beautiful and how you make a practice of going through other people's lives as well, looking at that. So I have some friends who have had some really terrible, terrible, beautiful no's lately. And I'm just curious of your insight, having gone through, you know, career disappointments and whatever, like we all do. What's some of your wisdom for, for being in that moment of disappointment and heartbreak to like, to be able to, be real about that and focus on it, but also move towards the beautiful no to trust that. Do you have any right. insights on that? Well, I can only share what I would say to myself. And right. because once, once I made, this was one of my deepest spiritual breakthroughs when all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. Oh my God. I mean, I wanted to throw myself out of a building in disappointment over that no. And that no was kind of like, it was part of the matrix, the little pattern that was kind of pushing me over here. And shortly after that, I got, you know, a call from the Oprah show to come and freelance. And what's the miraculous piece of that is I had applied to the show earlier. 
and been rejected. And I wasn't going to go back again. I would never go back again. I was like, oh, okay, well, no, they didn't want me. Okay. And the fact that a new person was hired and dug through an old closet and found my resume and called me and I was available because I had just gotten blown off by this big job. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A few years down the road when I I could look back and say, oh, look at this magical pattern. And then let's look at the rest of your life. Let's look at the no's you've gotten. And wow, don't you see how you almost bounced off the wall into the next big, bright, beautiful dream? So what I realized is if I could find a way to collapse the time between seeing the perfection of my own creation, my co-creation with the universe that, oh my gosh, look what you were really cooking up. If I could collapse the time between that understanding and the horrible bone crunching betrayal and disappointment of whatever that no was, I could get back all those days and have them be happy. I wouldn't have to waste a month or three months or six months bemoaning my own life. So listen, it's a work in progress. And listen, I'll get a no and I'll be like, oh, and then I'll have to say the beautiful no. (laughs) I mean, and, and I just coach myself back and say, well, here is what I'm able to say for right now. I'm disappointed. I thought this was going to work out. I really had my heart set on it, but I am willing to be eagerly expectant of the gift that's coming. I'm willing to be eagerly hopeful about seeing how this is going to turn out. And if I can just tell myself that story, that better feeling story, I can begin to put myself in that space where I'm less focused on the devastation and interested in the promise of what's to come. And at the end of the day, I'll say, you guys, this is the moment where your beliefs need to come into practice. Not when you're leading the parade, you know, and the money's pouring in and, you know, and, you know, you feel like you're at the height of success. It's in that. No, that's when it's time to practice. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have been, you've had this front row seat to all these different teachers and experiences. And then obviously you're a seeker. So I'm curious because I also love to read and follow people. Who are some of your favorite authors or teachers or people that inspire you these days? Yeah. I'm trying to think about how I'm going to, how I can answer this super respectfully. Um, Yeah, that's a good, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Um, Or it could be, you could, we could change the question. Let's talk about who you don't want to hang out with. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? And I don't even, even say that. I feel like this, at this part of my journey, so who I've been shaped by, a return to love blew my brains out of my body. Marianne's first book. Because all of a sudden, you know, for somebody to come at quote unquote religion, that's what it was when I was being raised with this emphasis on love that opened up a whole new thing for me. Deepak Chopra, The Spiritual Laws of Success, shook me up. Eckhart Tolle, Gary Zukav, so many people, so many 
Yana Van Zandt, like little pieces from everybody continued to open me up and open me up and open me up. The thing, the path, the writing that seems to be my walk, my journey, that's my language, this is my path, is Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks, Abraham. It feels to me like I've cut out kind of the human middle men and women and I'm going right to source. And even with that, what I know now is that it was perfectly fine for me to spend the first half of my life as a seeker. It exposed me to so much new information, ideas, thoughts, dreams, possibilities. But now I've decided I'm a finder. I've decided I'm a finder. And what that means is there's nothing more for me to know other than to experience myself in this moment and to keep coaching myself back to the life I say I want to live. So honestly, I kind of try to keep my own counsel. Yeah. Mm. It's great. So can you explain the difference between a seeker and a finder then? I know you kind of just did there, but just a little bit more detail. Well, I mean, I think of the years I would haunt the self-help bookshelves and it was almost like I was looking for the one size fits all program that would deliver me from my unhappiness, my lack of discipline, my inability to do this, that, or the other thing. So for the years um, that I spent just haunting those self-help aisles in in the bookstore, just looking for, looking for what was going to deliver me. And I would say then, uh, then I got a job where I was producing experts. And so again, oh, maybe this will be the way for me. Maybe this will be the way for me. Maybe this will be the way for me. And so loaded up with information, but not necessarily consistently implementing any of it. And when I decided that information that I need is going to find me. You know, I'm on social media. I'm exposed to different people, to new voices, which I really like that. That's really fun for me. But when I decided that I was going to be a finder, it meant to me that I was no longer in search of what would make me happy and what would make my life better, that all those answers were already inside of me. And I was going to just every day spend time finding them and not continuing to look outside of myself for what those answers were. And then how do you do that on a, cause you say you, t- do you talk to yourself a lot? Because you've said that already, right? We all talk to ourselves and you're trying to do it with the kind voice. I could just see you in the grocery store and you're just like, Sherry, so what should I do today? You know, I don't know. This is, the I got to, is talking out loud, but like, how does that manifest for you on a daily basis? Well, I came to realize that I am talking to myself all the time yeah. as we all are. And then I started to listen to what I was saying and which is, this is not an original thought. People have been telling this for a long time. It's like, what is that voice, that unmonitored repeat tape? What, what's going on with that? And it was just awful. You know, you're not enough this, you're too much that. And, you know, you made a mistake here and you're not good enough there. I mean, it, it's even remarkable for, you know, having as much information and opportunities to be exposed to spiritual information that my voice was that awful. And so, yes, 
being conscious and paying attention to what that story is and then deliberately writing it. Like, what am I going to say about myself to myself about this day? Here's what I'm going to say. And what am I, it's, it's like, that's where I'm kind of practicing what I'm sharing with you. I practice by telling myself the story I want to hear. I want to live in my head. And, but listen, I'll take my foot off the gas. Next thing I know, I'll be like, yeah, think you're so that, you know, I mean, it's really, it's very habitual and it takes a lot of focus and practice to supersede those old tapes. It does, but it's so worth it. It's the game changer. I mean, it's everything because then you're happier. (laughs) (laughs) It's the total game changer. I mean, you're telling yourself the story of your life. What is it you want it to be? Yeah. Yeah. That you're dumb and fat and stupid and unlovable or that you're blessed and your life is abundant and, you know, every moment's amazing and, you know, you're just getting better and better and, and more and more alive and more and your heart is opening wider. Like when I start to tell myself those truths, I can literally feel my vibration shift. Mm. And then the next few hours are completely transformed. You know, there, there are people who are telling us in the world of quantum theory that the thoughts we think, the words we speak are creating outcomes. We are literally creating our lives and the building blocks are our stories about them. Mm-hmm. So I think of the years when I would create unconsciously, I had an unconscious experience you know, and I want to be a finder. I want to live the joy ride. I want to be conscious. And that means that I have to practice telling the story that I want to live. Mm-hmm. So what are you really loving about your life right now, today, as it is? I think I finally really understand and in, in inhabiting the concept of freedom. And it's the same kind of freedom you can have when you're working 80 hours a week for somebody else. And the freedom is that I do what I love with people I love for people I love, that I am a much more trustworthy steward of my own well-being, that as I learn to set boundaries and be less worried about what other people think about me and less of a people pleaser, all of a sudden I begin to demonstrate to myself that I have my own back, that I can count on myself. And all of that feels like freedom to me. You know, the freedom from my old tapes, my old unhelpful beliefs about myself. So that's what I'm most enjoying these days. I feel, I feel very free of having to demonstrate my worthiness. Mm. The ultimate. The ultimate freedom, right? That's awesome. Now, if you were to reap, like, I don't know, if, like if you were to go back to what your career was yeah, and like, you've done all this finding right since then and like put yourself back in that situation for your last five years, like what things would you do different? Like just paying attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth or how we're internal dialogue we're talking to ourselves or is there other shifts you would make? Cause there's probably a lot of people here right now that work a lot of hours, right? For someone else at a job. And they may be like, well, how can I take this to my, you know, my own little home here? Well, that's a really great question. And 
you know, obviously I've had to think long and hard about that. And, and it, I absolutely could have d- done exactly what I'm doing now back in those days, because when I'm really honest with myself, what was I doing in the hours I wasn't working? Was I meditating? Was I doing yoga? Was I drinking blah, 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 water? Was I doing those practices that lean me into joy now? The answer is I was far too busy to take care of myself, my friend. I was too busy to do that. I I wasn't too busy to zone out in front of cable news, though. I wasn't too busy to order a large pizza and pop my second bottle of Chardonnay open on a Friday night after a stressful week. I wasn't too busy to do all those poor stress-reducing choices. I mean, I was smoking back then, my friends, because that felt like comfort to me. Sure. So that's what I would, that's what I know is true is that even within an 80 hour work week, there were so many more hours that could have been devoted to self-care that, you know, choices that could have been so much more uplifting and made that work time less stressful. And I talked about it all the time. I produced it all the time, but I was not willing to make the changes I needed to make at the time. You know, it's so interesting now in this new world, which I'm sure you guys are exposed to as well. I meet transformational leaders all the time. And, you know, it's exciting. And I love the way I love the different languages. I love everybody's different perspectives. But, you know, the cautionary tale from the seat I sat in where every expert in the world went by in front of me is, you know, you can talk about it. You can produce it. You can write about it. You can build websites and courses and programs and all of that. But that is not the same thing as being transformation, being transformed. And whenever I start to take my eyes off that prize, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. So I I do take my eyes off that prize. I instantly remind myself, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as being it. And being it has has to be the overarching goal and priority over everything. Boom. We're going to, that was, that was the mic drop. Thank you. (laughs) That is an excellent and important cautionary tale, especially in the day and age we are where any of us can invent anything we want on the internet. (laughs) And it's so much more because back 20 years ago, it was all regulated, right? Certain magazines, certain news media. And now it's just, there were a lot of barriers to entry and now there's not, which is a drawback and a blessing, right? That's right. But I mean, really, I mean, you know, in the transformational leadership space, you know, there's that, you know, I meet a lot of stressed out people and I can identify with that. I mean, and I have enormous compassion for that. And it just, it's just serves to inspire and remind me that there's nothing more important I will do today than taking care of myself and tending to my own garden and minding my own business instead of figuring out what everybody else should be doing, which is always great fun. <laughs> it's good entertainment. That's for sure. But you're right. Tending to our own garden. Yeah, well, good. I just have loved learning from you today. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, this book. And thank you for your time today. Where would you like people to, is there a special place they should get the book or a special link or anything? 
Well, all the links to bunches of great bookstores are at thebeautifulno.com. You can download a free chapter. There's going to be a free companion workbook. So yeah, that's where everything is. What's going on? Amazing. Well, everybody listening, you're going to love this book. Go get your copy. It's really good. Thebeautifulno.com. Thank you, Sherry. Blessings to you. Blessings to you. I am so excited to tell you that my new book, Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management, is now out. You can get the book along with a workshop on how to set boundaries and say no and a workshop on how to apply the 80-20 rule to your life so you can get 80% more results with only 20% of the work, plus two Maven Masterclasses over at katenorthrop.com forward slash book. And the book is available anywhere books are sold. Get your copy of Do Less.